1: Hello and welcome to this Outchanging World podcast from RNZ National, presented by me, Alison Balance. Here's how engineer Mark Jumey at the University of Canterbury got involved in forensics. He's an engineer who specialises in fluid dynamics, which means he's interested in the way gases and liquids move. He usually works on industrial applications, such as the way fuel behaves in a spray. Then, one day there was a knock on his door.
0: I never really expected to be doing this, but one day a gentleman came to my office and uh, said, I've heard that you've done some work on fuel droplets, on measuring the size and the velocities of fuel droplets. And he said, well, could you do the same for blood droplets? It turned out he was from ESR. That was uh, Dr Michael Taylor of ESR. And uh, he's been uh, researching in blood spatter uh, and bloodstain evidence for years.
1: So you said, yes, I deal with liquids, and then did he have some specific questions that he wanted answered?
0: He wanted to build much more physics into how forensic scientists interpret bloodstain patterns. The interpretation of bloodstain patterns has been based on rules of thumb which have been built up over time. And Most of those rules are, are quite accurate and they yield quite important information about where the victim was and some clues as to where perhaps the assailant was and how many blows were struck and what kind of weapon was used and things like that which is all very useful but a lot of the investigators who were going to crime scenes and looking at uh bloodstain patterns didn't have a very clear idea about the physics of of how these patterns were formed uh, and that could make uh, giving testimony in court difficult uh, under cross-examination. You ask asked questions about could this happen, could that happen? And, uh, and he felt that uh, those questions could be answered much uh, more accurately and much more clearly with better understanding. We put a course together uh, in which I, I put my knowledge of the physics of how droplets were created and what affects their uh, their trajectory, the path that they follow as they fly through the air. And then what happens to them as they strike a a surface, so they might splash or spread, Um, those processes determine the shape of the stain, which sometime later an investigator comes along and and sees and tries to to interpret. And there was quite a lot already known. Uh, Droplet impact on surfaces has been studied for years because it's really important for things like cooling, you know, if you're spraying water over something to cool it down. It's really important for things like printing. Uh, The printing industry has done a lot of work on uh, generating droplets of of particular sizes and working out what happens when they hit the surface of a piece of paper, for example.
1: Can you simply explain to me some of those physics principles that you need to consider when you're thinking about fluids?
0: When you consider what happens when a droplet of, of any fluid hits a surface. So it could be a It could be a raindrop hitting the ground or it could be a drop of blood hitting a wall at a crime scene. What happens is um, the droplets roughly spherical, roughly ball-shaped when it strikes the surface and it spreads out over that surface. Um, And the degree to which it spreads and then whether it spreads evenly and makes a nice circular uh, pattern on the wall, or whether it splashes and makes uh, fingers or breaks up into smaller droplets depends on how fast it's going, how large the droplet is, but it also depends on physical properties of the of the fluid, so it depends on the density uh, and density is something that doesn't change very much, but it depends on surface tension and surface tension is something that's very different if you're dealing with say water in raindrops or or blood the surface tension uh, values are quite different and the surface tension value of blood varies a little bit from person to person um, it also depends on the viscosity the you know, what people often call the, the thickness of the fluid. Uh, something like honey has got very high viscosity uh, compared to water. The viscosity of blood's quite different to that of water, and the viscosity of blood even changes during a splashing event. It changes according to how fast the fluid is, uh, is changing shape. And the viscosity of blood changes from person to person. It, it depends quite a lot on your red blood cell count got a lot of red blood cells so if you've been uh, spending a lot of time at high altitude you've built up your red blood cell count your blood's quite viscous if you're anemic then uh, not so many red blood cells and it's, it's quite thin.
1: So what those forensic experts are having to do is they arrive at a crime scene there is blood splattered say on a wall maybe partly on a floor and they're having to calculate backwards things like what?
0: Things like where the blood droplets originated from, because that, that's where the wound was and that tells you where the victim was. And, and it's calculating backwards. That, that That's a really important thing because it's very easy in physics to calculate forwards in time to say, if we know how big the droplet is and what direction it's moving in and how fast it's moving, we can tell very accurately where it's going to end up. But if you say we know that it hit the wall at this point, well, there's many different paths that can actually lead it there, and you don't know which one it followed. So calculating backwards is is far more difficult. That's uh, really belongs to a class of problems called inverse problems, and they're always harder than uh, problems where you're considering the forward direction. So forensic scientists get around this when they if they look at a Uh, a pattern of blood drops on the wall, which they know has been caused by uh, blood drops travelling through the air. They trace back to the origin by considering many of those individual stains, many of those individual blood droplets, and tracing back possible trajectories and seeing where the majority of them cross. And that gives them a reasonable estimate of where the victim was.
1: Which would be simple if there was, for example, a single bullet, like a single wound that splattered blood, but you might have a whole lot of overlying splatters as well. So it's the idea that if you just traced enough of them back, you'd work out, well, some of that blood came from this point, but some of it came from a different point.
0: That, that's right, and a lot of crime scenes are very dynamic. Uh, victims often uh, don't just sit there, they, uh, they move around. Uh, that, that complicates things. But actually one of the most difficult problems that forensic scientists encounter... At some crime scenes, is telling different types of blood stain apart. So, for example, you might have the kind of blood stain that we've been talking about, where you've got a victim who's, who's bleeding, and, and either a, a bullet or um, a blunt weapon has been uh, propelling droplets into the air and they form a pattern on a wall or something. Uh, that's called impact spatter. But particularly when the droplets are really small, it's very difficult to tell an impact spatter p- pattern from uh, other possibilities, like, for example, uh, if you've got a, a wound in your uh, nose and mouth and you're, you're, you're breathing out or, or you're shouting, and you can cause uh, droplets to um, be carried out with your breath. They can be quite small and sometimes very difficult to tell from other, other types of spatter. Uh, ESR are actually doing a lot of work in this area at the moment uh, of making uh, different patterns, uh, fortunately using, uh, using substitutes. Uh, they use uh, pig's blood and they use uh, synthetic alternatives.
1: Which mimic the viscosity and the, the properties of yes, the blood. Yes,
0: exactly, yes, yes, yes. And that proved to be quite an important thing early on, uh, is that they found that pigs are much more variable than humans. That their red blood cell count varies from about 20 to 70%, whereas humans vary from about... 35 to 45%, so uh, we are <laughs> we're much more alike with each other than, than pigs are.
1: So what have you found most interesting thinking about the physics of blood splatter, for example?
0: As an engineer, uh, I think the pro- part of the problem that I've found most interesting is how you control your experiments. So building machines which give you, if you want to make an impact into a pool of blood, Machines which give you an impact at the same speed every time. Another thing we've looked at is um, is uh, tissue properties where uh, we're looking at gunshot wounding and, and particularly gunshot wounding to the brain. To do experiments on inert materials and if you go onto YouTube you, you can find a lot of videos of bullets going into blocks of gelatin. Gelatin is a kind of standard material which is thought to mimic uh, the behaviour of muscle and of brain tissue. We did some comparisons with lamb and sheep brain and, and found that gelatin really isn't a good match for, uh, for that. Um, I had a student who uh, had, in his youth, he'd, um, he came from Iran and he cooked a lot of lamb's brain. That's a delicacy. And uh, he was working with some gelatin one day and he said to me that uh, this gelatin really doesn't feel like brain. And funnily enough, recently I heard something very similar from a military surgeon who, who's treated a lot of head wounds and said, you know, gelatin really doesn't feel mechanically like brain. So my student who, who'd who done the cooking said, uh, well, you know, I've, uh, I've cooked puddings which are more brain-like than this. Uh, and that became a major topic of his PhD, was to make a synthetic material which behaved a lot more like brain. And he used some of his uh, pudding experience to do that, and used, for example, corn flour to control the uh, consistency.
1: Thanks, Mark. And that was Mark Jumey, a mechanical engineer at the University of Canterbury. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on November the second, twenty seventeen. We are on the web at RNZ.co.nz/OurChangingWorld. And you can subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Another RNZ podcast series you might like to try is The Long Way Home, in which we get to tag along with actor Bruce Hopkins as he walks the length of New Zealand along Te Araroa Trail. Bye for now. He